Welcome back to another edition of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at jreednfl. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. You can find my work on thedraftnetwork.com. Also, climbingthepocket.com. We're doing some really good stuff over there. There's an article posted every day for me on thedraftnetwork.com and also climbingthepocket.com. It's really served for Minnesota Vikings coverage, but there is a lot of other things going on there as well. So be sure to check out both of those websites. Today I'm going to continue my summer scouting notes series, and this is something that I have been doing going back to last week's episode where I touched on a lot of prospects, Grant Delpit, Andrew Thomas, and a host of other guys as well that I did touch on. DeAndre Swift was another name that I ended up getting to, and as we go through the summer, I'm just going to shed light on each prospect that I view and some summer notes that I really do write down about them, positive and negative, just because I don't want to just glorify the positive because that's not really what an evaluation is. I want to give or paint an entire picture of these prospects and also give a little bit of background information. And I have a running series going on right now on the draftnetwork.com where I'm sharing these notes and just background information that I find on each and every one of these guys. And I'm not putting up any film clips or anything like that because first I want people to understand just who they are as people because a lot of times we get so caught up in seeing who they are on the field and just exclusively exclusively looking at them with just their helmets on. But what I love to do is just find out who the player is off the field, what makes them click, for lack of a better term, and just how they got involved in football and exactly the acumen that really makes up their mental makeup. And I had an article on Jerry Judy released yesterday and also LaVisca Chenault on Wednesday. And those are two guys that I'm going to get into on today's series. But first off, I'm going to start with Travis Etienne, the Clemson running back, a guy who is really outstanding in my opinion. And the one thing that is always associated with him is that he is a home run hitter, and that's what you notice about his film. Everything that he does is at full speed, and it's not a secret that he comes from Louisiana, a t- or a state, I should say, that is really known for a hotbed of football talent from Jennings, Louisiana, and a lot of people thought he was going to attend LSU coming out, but it just didn't work out that way. Clemson was his dream school coming up, and they weren't really hot after him really until his senior year when he really did blow up and really got known on the recruiting landscape, but he got a visit from Clemson's running backs coach at the time, Tony Elliott, and who is still there. He's the co-offensive coordinator now and still the running backs coach to this day, uh, a guy that I've had a previous discussion with and I think very highly of. He's going to be a head coach one day. Book that. You can definitely take that to the bank. He's one of the highly, most highly intelligent coaches that I've ever been around when I did go down to the Clemson a couple years ago to talk to him. But to stand on subject with ATN, he is a home run hitter, and that's the first note that I wrote down about him. He is a constant big play threat. And he could take it the distance at any moment during games. And he had a record number of explosive plays last year at Clemson. And he has that hold-your-breath factor when he does touch the ball because he is what I like to call an angle destroyer. And even when defenders have really the angles on him or the cutoff path in order to eliminate some of the big runs that he does have, he is able to outrun and out-exceed some of those angles that they do have. So, He just operates at a different tempo, and it's just something that you can't coach. It is just a natural trait that is born into you, and he has that big play ability that you love to see. Now, what I love about his speed is that, of course, he's able to floor the gas pedal and accelerate really quickly, 
but he has the ability to increase speeds without flaming out. And once he reaches top end speed, he makes everybody else on the field look really slow, which I think is a special trait that, of course, you can't coach. But just the speed factor and the dynamic things that he brings to the table, that's really what makes ATN special. But the other factor that I wrote down about him is just his run strength. And he's listed at 5'10", 215 pounds, and he definitely doesn't look 215 pounds, but it's mostly all in his lower half. And if you just look at him without ever seeing him play, you would think he is the typical Clemson scat back like a C.J. Spiller or anything like that. But he has a completely different skill set from C.J. Spiller, and he's going to get locked into a lot of cliche terms with that comparison, and it's totally unfair to him because they are two completely different types of players. And what really separates those two guys is that his run strength, he runs so much stronger than what his body indicates. And he can be a bit of a crash dummy at times, meaning that he does bounce off of guys in between the tackles just because he runs a bit too fast, sometimes just because he can't really control just how fast he's running, which is crazy to say. And he has well above average contact balance, and he has the body armor in order to fend off some of those some of those defenders that he does face in the hole. But just his strength throughout his body and to keep his legs churning, that's how he's always able to break out some of these tackles and really extend some of these long runs. And then that brings me to my last positive about him is just his cut feel. He's able to keep his shoulders parallel. He's a fantastic at pressing the line of scrimmage while being able to survey the entire landscape. <clears throat> Excuse me, being able to survey the entire landscape and the pitcher in front of him. And then on multiple running concepts, he's able to exhibit just that natural feel of being able to detect when the front or the backside defenders really over-pursue or they just take bad angles to the ball. But with ATN, if you take a bad angle or over-pursue against him, he is going to hit those cutback lanes very, very swiftly. And watch out when he does that because you're not going to catch him. And he had multiple large gains when being able to gain that type of momentum, whether that was to the exterior or if those defenders really did over-pursue and he still hit it along the interior. And he just has the rare speed in order to be able to take over games. And in college, you rarely see a running back being able to just completely take over the game just because defensive coordinators are really smart now. They're just going to load the box and force these quarterbacks to throw the ball. Uh, when that does happen, you don't really see guys having performances like Reggie Bush or any Adrian Peterson, some guys that come to mind from the past few decades or so. But with ATN, he still is able to take over games no matter what. And the one game that I love to talk about is the ACC championship game last year against Pittsburgh. From start to finish, he was just overly dominant in that game and there was nothing Pittsburgh could do to stop him and that's what you see throughout this film as well even in the championship game against Alabama last year he started off really slow and a lot of people were really questioning if he would be that type of running back that could take over games or shoulder an entire load but he's shown throughout his career at Clemson that he's able to do that so keep an eye on Travis Etienne the ACC player of the year last year I'm sure he's going to get a lot of preseason accolades for that but his teammate is definitely going to be in the running for that in Trevor Lawrence so I think those guys are really going to seesaw back and forth for a lot of votes there. But just going over his stats, he had a record number, 1,658 yards last year and 24 touchdowns on 204 carries. So over eight yards per carry. And he has that magical number of being able to average over eight yards a carry. You just don't really see that with running backs in this day and age. But like I said, he's the reigning ACC Offensive Player of the Year. And he tied an ACC record for the most touchdowns in a season with 26. He has the receiving production that you're looking for, over 40-plus 40, 40 catches 
in his tenure now at Clemson. And I think he's going to be even incorporated more in the passing game there now with Trevor Lawrence entering his second year and being more comfortable in that offense. And then with how dominant ATN is as a runner, they're going to have to find some other ways to get him the ball. And I think that's going to be as a receiver. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does now in his junior season. And he really has the momentum right now to be the top running back selected, whether that's a first-round pick or at the top of the second round. So I want to back up a bit and retract the statement that I said a couple seconds ago and that ATN had over 40 catches in his career. I actually was thinking about DeAndre Swift when I made that comment, but he only has 17 receptions to date, I believe. So receiving production definitely is a negative that can be used against Travis ATN. But as I alluded to earlier, going back to my earlier point and that I think he's going to be incorporated much more as a receiving threat, even though they have a lot of mouths to feed on the perimeter already in Justin Ross and T Higgins. I think they're probably going to flex ATN a bit more out wide just because they have so many weapons and you can't really focus on one guy but they could use him in an Alvin Kamara type of role where they let him run some vertical routes on the outside or just some option routes from out of the backfield just to get his get the ball in his hands a bit more so I look for ATN to be a bit more incorporated into the offense but once again I want to back up again because I didn't even tell you guys that we're talking about today and that's completely my fault so we already have one guy out the way in Travis ATN the other guys that we'll be talking about today are Alabama wide receiver Jerry Judy Ohio State defensive end Chase Young and Colorado wide receiver LaVisca Chenault, who I also talked about briefly earlier. But the next guy that we will get into is Jerry Judy. And this guy leaves no shortage of excitement because that is the first word that should be associated with him because his ankle flexion and ability to change directions and just juke people in space are just phenomenal. And that's something that you notice about him right away. And he has the video the video game-esque moves that I should say and the rare body functionality which enable him to make really some gruesome and uncomfortable looking movements to elude defenders and it just it it's so surprising to see how he can just stop on a dime and just contort his body into these uncomfortable situations to where he can just stop on a dime and just make defenders miss in space and they are completely surprised by it too because whenever they're juked they they really touch their toes or they're just completely moved out of the way by him and they they're just astonished and in amazement of some of the move the moves and body movements that he did make during these jukes so excitement is the first word that should be associated with him but he is much more than just that he has the special ability of being able to really set up these moves despite multiple yard distances away from the make you miss point I like to call it from defender so he doesn't get right up on guys and really try to do his moves he does it from a distance, which makes it even more impressive. And he has this vicious dead leg, I like to call it, and redirection skills that are really just unique to his overall skill set. And that is by far the biggest trait that he hangs his hat on. And it, it is elite. That's the best way to describe it. And it's the biggest way that he create, creates extra opportunities for himself. Ole Miss was a great example of that. Uh, some other games that they played in were great examples of it too. The list goes on and on. LSU is another game where he was just juking everybody all over the field. Mississippi State is another game where he had a couple moves that were just jaw-dropping. And one trait that I love the most besides his joystick jukes, I like to call, is his ball tracking skills. He's an explosive play waiting to happen. And he's experienced a lot of success from the outside, but he, where he does most of his damage is from the slot. And when he's when he's aligned in that area, he really shows speed and the quick twitch abilities that allow him to separate with ease from defensive backs down the field. And 
the first play of the game or really early in the game against Ole Miss, he had an explosive play that was about 60 yards, I believe it was, where he was in the slot where he just ran completely past everybody in the Ole Miss secondary. And he does it with ease, and his feet are just able to dig into the ground so fast. And his ball tracking skills are able to take over. And when you throw the ball in the deep areas, the arc of the ball really doesn't face him just because he has fantastic hand-eye coordination. And his body control is elite also to where he can just reel the ball in. His hands and eyes really stay tied together even when he has over-the-shoulder type of attempts or when they are required. There really isn't any type of ball trajectory that really is foreign to him or confuses him. So having that type of trait is really, really good for Jerry Judy. And he's experienced a lot of success at Alabama in a short amount of time. And I know a lot of people are probably pegging him as a one-year wonder, even though really last year was his first time in a full-time role taking over for some of the guys that they did have there, especially Calvin Ridley when he did end up declaring for the draft. But you don't just put up these type of numbers by accident. I mean, over a 1,000 yards, really the second-best receiving year totals overall besides Amari Cooper's historic year in 2014 where both of those guys ended up winning the Bolitnikoff Award, which is awarded to the best receiver in the country, the only two Alabama wide receivers to ever win it since the award really was start, started being given out in 1994. So that just goes to show you just how type of the special year that he did have. And I put up an article on Jerry Judy. I love his mental makeup. I love everything that he stands for. He's faced a lot of adversity in his life. He's Haitian. Uh, he had he had a little sister growing up, but she ended up passing away uh, when she was seven years old. So just that type of motivation. And once again, just peeling the helmet off of these guys and just seeing what makes them click is something that I find extreme joy in. And Jerry Judy, I had so much fun writing that article about him. And he is just so exciting. And another trait that, that I really loved about him was just his catch awareness. He has natural hands and he just has the ability to make these consistent looking catches and he follows the ball all the way into his grasp, which I think is a really good trait about him. And he's never a guy that, even though he's so good at making these moves, he always looks the ball all the way into his grasp. And whether that's in traffic or condensed areas or even wide-open windows with multiple, with multiple defenders, they really didn't face him because he maintains the mental co concentration in order to just smother and squeeze the ball with his hands. And he only uses his pads when he desperately has to or when it's needed or when expecting contact directly following the catch, which I think, once again, is a credit to his catch awareness. And he uses his arms and his chest as protection in order to cover up the ball once he is expecting that incoming traffic. Now, on the flip side of things, something you do worry about with him, of course, is his frame. It is a bit thin and it is a bit slight from top, from top to bottom. He has those skinny legs that, you know, you see a lot of Alabama receivers do have, but he has those violent and rigorous juking type of styles that may decline once he gets to the latter half of his career and those quick, quick twitch abilities really leave his body. And he will need to continue to add muscle mass. That's one thing I will say about him to withstand some of the physical physicality and physical asking prices of the NFL game so he has to be able to continue to add that muscle mass onto his body and not just upper or lower half but just throughout and then it's going to help him as a run blocker as well just because he doesn't show a lot of interest in that so just improving his frame and then second level releases is another note that I wrote down about him just explaining what exactly second level releases are and this is mainly used against zone coverage where linebackers are really trying to wall off or reroute receivers from their intended path that's the easiest way to put it but he is exceptional at eating up the cushion when getting to those points but when trying to funnel through a function through 
the zone coverage aspects of linebackers or those second-level defenders that he's faced with, they really are able to alter his pass on those second levels. And he can become a bit of a body magnet, uh, so to speak. And then he can come to near-complete stops because he's unsure of what to do, which really messes up the timing of those routes. So I'm really looking forward to another exciting year from Jerry Judy, and a lot of people are really pegging him already as the best player in this college football class or this 2020 upcoming NFL draft class, and I have no problems with that belief at all. And I think he's a special player, and I think he's going to be really good in the NFL as well just because I think everything that he stands for and all of his traits that he really hangs his hat on are can be successful or really translate to the NFL. So keep an eye on Jerry Judy and a lot of other weapons that they do have at Alabama. So let's see if he is able to put up similar production or even exceed that type of output that he had last year. And if he's able to do that, there is no question that he's going to be a top 10 selection. Even he could enter the top five discussion, depending on if teams at the top need a receiver. There may be some teams that ended up end up trading up for him, but we're a ways away from that point. But once again, keep an eye on Jerry Judy. I'm looking forward to seeing if he can once again repeat the type of season that he had in 2018. The next guy that I want to talk about is Colorado wide receiver LaVisca Chenault, a guy who I didn't have a lot of prior knowledge of prior to really studying him this summer. And I know he had a really standout year last year, but you really didn't hear a lot about him overall just because he does play at Colorado, a team that doesn't have a lot of excitement on their roster outside of Chenault last year. I know Steven Montez is the quarterback there that's starting to receive a little bit of buzz, but overall Chenault didn't get a lot of notoriety last year, even though he put up really the best season since Paul Richardson's season in 2013. I mean, averaging 9.6 yard or excuse me, 9.6 catches per game, which was the best in the country of any receiver and once again like Jerry Judy he's another guy that really is this type of one-year wonder type of player and that's some questions that he's going to have to answer as he enters next season but as far as his game and where he excels at his versatility that's the first thing that really pops off of the screen outside of offensive line there wasn't a position and quarterback I should say there really wasn't a position that he did not play on the field and I hate that they treated him this way but they really treat him like an H-back in a sense because he played out wide he played on the hip of the offensive tackle running back and he even has some experience with Wildcat quarterback so his best contributions really came when he was at wide receiver that's the biggest area where he does show the most promise of course but they really didn't let him operate much from there just because the way I compared it to and the way I wrote it down in my notes it's a pretty funny reference but it's the best way to describe it is that they treated him like the the high school player that is by far the best player on the team on both sides of the ball, no matter if it's offense or defense. And that's the way that they treat him in a sense because there wasn't a position that he didn't play. They want to find a way to get the ball in his hands no matter what. And the best thing about him showing this type of versatility, though, is that he is going to have experience in so many spots that offensive coordinators in the NFL are going to have so much fun with him because he's a multifaceted option and they can utilize him in so many spots in different alignments, whether that's at at running back, you know, wildcat quarterback from the slot, from the outside. Those are the type of things that Chenault really brings to the table. And that leads me to my next point is his explosiveness. Once again, like ATN and like Jerry Judy, he's a big play waiting to happen. He he led the nation last year with 9.6 catches, like I alluded to earlier, but he averaged 10.9 scrimmage yards per play, per game, which is an outstanding number. And that is a really high number that a lot of NFL teams are going to go by because they're going to say, man, this guy is playing this position, this position, this position. 
and he's showing all this versatility, but his numbers are not dropping off no matter where he is. So once again, showing that versatility, showing that explosiveness are some of the things that are going to help him, especially once they start to build a profile and a resume on him. And another trait that I loved about him was his hands. I think he's fully capable of catching the ball away from his body, and he doesn't rely on catching the ball with his chest or pads at all, not that I've seen. And he has an adequate enough body control in order to adjust and match the direction of the ball, really in order to snag it out of the air. And he has a wide catch radius, which I love to see. And that was really on full display, no matter the amount of traffic that really he was placed within or contained within. He has a high awareness of being able to make catches and then immediately protecting himself from uh, from safeties, I should say, that would be scraping over the top of the defense, trying to dislodge those balls out. But he's a guy that once the ball is in his grasp, he turns into a running back after the catch. And that's really what his upbringing was at. He played running back and linebacker for the most part. And another guy that I love to tell his story because he is a guy that experienced a ton. His father passed away when he was 10 years old in a tragic car accident, and I got a, I got a chance to actually speak to him briefly about that, and this is all included in the article on thedraftnetwork.com, and he's by far my favorite prospect that I've had a, ba- a chance to do a background story on so far this year just because there aren't a lot of individuals that will really recover from that, and you see the flowing dreadlocks with him, which is something that is of significance to him because he hasn't cut him since his father passed away in 2009, and now 10 years later, they still are draped over the back of his jersey, and they mean so much to him. So just knowing his story, where he came from, and how he got to this point, I think is just exceptional, but just getting back on what he does good and what he does bad, let's talk about some things he needs to improve on. I think he needs to improve on his route running angles a bit, and What I mean by that is he doesn't spend a whole bunch of time from the slot or from the outside just because they treat him like an H-back tight end, like I alluded to earlier. So they're treating him like a do-it-all player within the offense, and his details on routes really have suffered as a result. And he's an average technician overall, but the sense of angles and route directions really are dull. And when he gets to the top of routes, he he really rounds them out in a sense as opposed to those sharp 90-degree angles, whether that's an outbreaking route or breaking back to the ball or breaking inward, those are some of the things that you would like to see a bit more from him. And they're very evident on outbreaking routes, and most of his routes really continue to climb upfield instead of really snapping them flat when they're asked to. And he has slight stutters at the top of his routes, which are probably in the future going to allow those defensive backs really to close the space on him when they're driving down trying to make plays on him. So just those route type of angles and just eliminating the dullness in his routes or something that he needs to work on and then his release plans is something that I think needs a lot of work as well because he loves to use his physical nature and his speed that's really where he likes to use on those releases and he loves what I he loves to use what I like to call a speed release against press coverage or when he's challenged at the line of scrimmage and all that means is that he immediately runs to the sideline and hopes that his tempo and his strength will eventually allow him to run past those the outside hip of those defenders as opposed to working his arms and his hands to get them off of him when those defenders try to jam him. So he doesn't have a really sense or high awareness of how to use release plans in order to free his body to get his route, to get into his route stem. So those release plans are something that he's going to have to work on. And as long as he gets with a demanding position coach, uh, once he, if he does end up declaring for the NFL draft this year or next year, I think that's something that is going to help him a whole bunch. So 
those are the those are the things that I really like to see him improve upon. But he's another guy that's going to have to prove that he isn't necessarily a one year wonder, and he's going to have to put up those prolific numbers. But just his involvement in the Colorado offense and them having a new coaching staff there now, I think he's a guy that could, if we're looking up a year from now, he's going to be a bona fide first round pick just because of what he brings to the table. And once again, his skills translate to Sundays. The final prospect that I will touch on on today's Summer Scouting Notes series is Ohio State defensive end Chase Young. And of all the prospects that I've talked about so far, he probably is the one that is, outside of Jerry Judy, he probably is the one that is getting the most hype right now just because opposite of Nick Bosa last year, he really showed a lot of promise. And every time Bosa was in on a sack early on the in the year before he went out with his injury, Chase Young was right there beside him. And he was nursing some ankle injuries last year, and he still showed the type of explosiveness that you love to see in this elite type of edge rusher that is entering the NFL draft eventually. But we'll see if he does end up being one of those top-tier guys, and I think he definitely has the potential to be that. 6'5", 265 pounds. He's already receiving comparisons to Julius Peppers, and I don't want to go that far with that comparison just because I'm not a big fan of doing player-to-player comparisons as far as college to future Hall of Famers or guys that had a lot of success on the NFL level just because they can be misconstrued at times, and a lot of people think that you're predicting just how well they're going to perform as NFL players as opposed to comparing their traits. Now, as far as the traits, I think they have a lot of similar qualities, specifically their size and their explosiveness, but I think J. Pitt was a bit more ahead as a prospect with his hand usage that Chase Young is currently, and I think Chase Young's is well above average just because as a run defender and as a pass rusher, he really is crafty. He can set the edge violently, and also as a pass rusher, he can mix it up a bit as far as his repertoire inside, outside. He really has a repertoire of moves that he already has in his tool shed, and that leads me to my next point is he is very creative with his attack plans. And with these college edge rushers, I think that's where they lack the most just because they like to win a lot with their, with their athleticism and they just want to get up the field right now. That's not the case with Chase Young. He's not very explosive up the field right now. And I don't want to take anything away from him, but he doesn't have that elite burst that you like to see from some of these guys of years past. But as far as being crafty with his hands and mixing up his moves and really keeping these offensive tackles off balance, he is exceptional at that. And I think that's where he wins the most. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we're looking up leading up to April when he's already in the top 10 discussions and I think he's already right there right now it's just a matter of him now being the number one defensive end on that roster can he have the same type of attack and the same type of effectiveness effectiveness and impact in games now that he really is essentially the primary guy that's going to seek the most attention on that defense so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do and as far as what he really is lacking right now He has a really propensity to attack the midline of offensive tackles right now and just using a bull rush when he can't win. And I would like to see him – I'm fine with him using a bull rush, but if that doesn't work, what is your next counter move? And he doesn't have a counter move off of the bull rush right now. If uh, if offensive linemen are able to sit down in their stance and really halt his path, 
just because he's so used to overpowering all these offensive linemen just because he's so physically blessed and dominant over all these guys. He, it really comes as a bit of shock to him when he is stopped in his path. And that happened a couple times throughout the year, but he didn't show to have a counter move off of that. And that's something that he's going to develop as he gets older. And Ohio State has an exceptional defensive line coach there. He's one of the best in the business in Larry Johnson. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he can take that next step in his development and what he adds to Chase Young's repertoire to help him really cement himself as that top 10 selection that a lot of people really think he can become. But as far as his background, I love everything that he stands for. His dad, Greg, uh, was he's he's all of six eight. He's a former college basketball player. His mom is very tall as well. So it's easy it's easy to see exactly where his size does come from. He has the athletic background and the mental makeup that you're looking for from these defensive end prospects. His parents has the basketball background. So you see where the athleticism is coming from. And I think when we're looking back on this draft class, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a guy that does end up entering the top five discussion. So I'm I'm interested to see if he can take that next step. I think that's the biggest thing with Chase Young right now. So as we work through these scouting notes on prospects throughout the summer and in the coming months, I want you guys to make sure that you head over to thedraftnetwork.com because there's so much great information being shared and insight being given and not just on 2020 NFL draft prospects, but off-season training activities, OTA reports, mandatory mini camps, and things of that nature that are really being shared and some of the things that we're seeing and hearing. And this is something that I'm going to talk about in my column that has just been posted this morning in that I talk about the 2019 rookie quarterbacks and some of the challenges that they have faced so far to this point. I go in-depth about Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, and everybody else. Drew Locke is another guy that I talk about, and Daniel Jones of course, just because there's not going to be a lack of criticism there for him for a multitude of reasons, just because of the criticism that came with the pick when it was made. But I go in depth about the challenges that the 2017 draft class faced with Mitchell Trubisky and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes in a sense in that Mitchell Trubisky had never taken a snap from under center. And he was only a 13 game starter coming in, coming out of North Carolina, I should say. And primarily a shotgun-based offense, and then operating under center in Darrell Loggins' uh, system as a rookie, and then now in Matt Nagy's system, which is more of a shotgun type of uh, system overall. But that is a that is a adjustment that he really had to make, and a lot was made of when he didn't even know what a hard count was. And basically a hard count is, is just trying to make the defense jump off sides and getting five free yards while taking some shots down the field. And that's just an area that he didn't have any previous exposure to. So being patient and just letting these guys understand the game because they don't have a lot of exposure to some of the concepts maybe that they use in the NFL. And this also happened with Deshaun Watson because what you see is that 90% of college offenses are really signal-based. And what I mean by signal-based is that you get the formation from these signals, you get the play call, <clears throat> you get the play call, and you also get the snap count from these signals. And that's something that happened at Clemson. So when Deshaun Watson, on the first day of minicamp, when he was when he was being introduced to the Texans' offense, is that he had to call a play in the huddle. And that's something that he had never done in his entire career. So just little things like that are some of the tactics that we forget or some of the angles that we forget that these guys have to endure. And with Kyler Murray, with Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, these are some of the challenges that they are facing. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this article. So it's already posted right now on the draftnetwork.com. It should be at the top of the site. 
I'm going to make sure to share it early in the morning. should already be up, I should say. So make sure to check that out. But once again, I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. And I'm going to have plenty of, in not just the coming days, but in the coming weeks, I'm going to continue my background series. Next week, I have A.J. Epinesa, the defensive end from Iowa. Eno Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State. T. Higgins, the wide receiver from Clemson. And also C.D. Lamb the wide receiver from Oklahoma. Those are just some of the guys that I'm going to continue my series on, writing some background notes and just sharing their story and how they got to this point. So make sure to be on the lookout for that. But most importantly, leave a five-star rating. Tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the podcast. And once again, I want to thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next Friday going in-depth about some of the guys that I wrote background notes on on the draft on the draftnetwork.com. <laughs>